Hello, everyone. This is Two Guys, Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasberry. This is Frank Pelican. And this week, we're going to do something a little special for Halloween. We are going to be doing a retrospective on the Phantasm series. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Phantasm is a series of five movies um, started in 1979 uh, and actually wrapped up in 2016 with the fifth and presumably final movie of the series. Um, they're directed by and written by Don Coscarelli. Uh, the last one was uh, co-written with Coscarelli. Um, he didn't direct that one. <clears throat> but the series just follows uh, the uh, young boy named Mike, <clears throat> Michael, who lives with his um, brother Jody in a small town. Parents are dead. Uh, Jody's best friend is a ice cream salesman, ice cream vendor <laughs> named Reggie. Um, and they... Uh, uh, a mystical slash possibly alien slash possible uh, man uh, from another dimension that is just called the tall man enters into uh, the town comes into the town and starts running the local funeral home and uh, at that point people start dying around the town uh, Michael seems to be one of the only ones that notices it he has to convince his uh, brother and uh, Reggie that this is the case and then the series at that point kind of continues on without giving any spoilers uh into um the exploits of michael as he tries to uh wage this like never-ending battle against the tall man and his minions um so we've talked about these series i guess probably like off and on probably since we've known each other almost i would figure 20 years yeah um what are your feelings like generally about um, it's an uneven series from like a filmmaking standpoint. Uh, the the first movie is is pretty solid, um, and as a standalone film, like definitely the best in the series. Um, it's it's a weird weird series for like the horror genre because where where most like major horror series, um, the focus is the antagonist. Like it doesn't really matter who like the ancillary characters are. Like where it takes place, you know, as long as Jason's killing people, it's still a Friday the 13th movie. Sure. Um, and the same, like, Michael Myers and Freddy and, you know, Chucky and whatever. I mean, like, any of those series is more about just showing you different ways that the killer can kill people. Um, Phantasm is the only horror series I can think of where the focus is really the protagonist, like, where the antagonist is more just kind of like a background figure and a driving force. And it really is, I mean, in that way, it's more of almost like a fantasy epic series yeah. with like a strong horror element rather than like a horror series. I mean, even though there's pretty, um, pretty gruesome deaths, like throughout all of them, mm-hmm. you know, it definitely is about like a supernatural or possibly alien force. Like you said, um, it really is the story of really of Mike and Reggie and of their journey through, like the country and time and space presumably and when we like when we talk about like our theories about this we'll get into that more but you know it really is just like the focus of like almost a hero's journey of those two um and their i don't know like their triumphs and their setbacks which every movie seems to have like no real resolution to what's happened like to anything that came before um again like as standalone films, like you can watch, you can watch Nightmare on Elm Street one and Nightmare on Elm Street three, and even though the thread is Freddy in those movies, they're two like standalone films. Like you can watch them without sure. really needing any previous knowledge. The Phantasm series, like as standalone films, 
they don't really work that well. Right. Because you need so much foreknowledge of everything that came before. And it's it's really funny that, like, they're filmed so far apart, like, with the exception of um, three and four, which are, like, four years apart. The first one's 79, then the second one's 88, and then it's, like, 94, 98, I think. And then not, like, the fifth one's 2016. Yeah. Always using the same principal cast of characters, mm-hmm. like both the actors and the characters themselves, and always following a very distinct narrative thread where one movie takes off almost immediately. Like every movie takes place immediately after the end of the previous movie. Yeah. Um, and it's really strange that there's so much gap between them because, in a lot of ways, like. As a serial, it would almost have worked better if it was only like a couple of years, like most, you know, like the Star Wars franchise or Indiana sure. Jones, um, or any other like you know trilogy or series of films um, where continuity matters. Um, but yeah, it, like really unique among horror movies, I think maybe a little underappreciated just for the fact that you know Coscarelli is the director and writer of, like, the first four films, which, in my opinion, are, like, the canon films of the the series. Um, so, for, like, a genre that's usually filled with, like, disposable movies that are just meant to, like, make a quick buck, like, it's, it's pretty impressive that he's able to, over the course of, you know, 20-plus years, like, make this series of films that tells the whole story. No, absolutely. I mean, I... Do you know how other people feel about this series at all? Like, in terms of, like, people you know? I mean, people we're friends with seem to like it. You know, yeah. we have a couple of, of, of friend people that, like, we've been really good friends with over time that, yeah. like, really appreciate the series. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever... When I was young, we always liked the first Phantasm movie just because it was that kind of, um, almost, like, indie spirit to it that, you know, this one guy, like filming on weekends over the course of a long period of time, just like almost like a passion project for him. Um, which is why I think the first Phantasm holds up so well because it's like he was so invested in telling that story without any idea if he'd ever be able to continue it, I guess. Sure. Um, and so my, my friends and I liked the first Phantasm a lot. I had actually never even seen the second Phantasm until probably the late 90s, yeah. maybe, or mid-90s. Um, definitely after the third or fourth one had come out. Hmm. Um no, the second one is actually a studio gets involved in that. I don't know if you know, and controls a lot of what goes on in that movie, um, including the recasting of the Michael character yeah. is the studio's decision. And um, because I guess it was a box office flop, basically. So then basically everything, because he still owned the rights, everything went back to Coscarelli, yeah. and then it took him years to find funding again, which is, again, why that delays there, really. And I guess I think they funded three and four roughly at the same time. And what year is Bubba with... Hotep? That's late 90s, right? Early 2000s? Early 2000s, I would say. I'd say 2001, maybe, if I had to guess. I mean, I would say that after the first Phantasm, that's probably Coscarelli's, like... I think that's Coscarelli's. Definitely his most, like, financially successful movie and probably his most critically acclaimed. Yeah, I, I certainly think it's his best movie. I mean, probably. it's by far a better movie than... 2002. Any, yeah, than any Phantasm movie. Yeah. Um, just in terms of like, and it's an adaptation, so maybe that's part of it too, that Coscarelli didn't actually write it himself, but, mm-hmm. um, just in the casting and the direction, like it's just yeah. a, a much more cohesive movie. True. Um, but yeah, like your, your description of, of everything is, it's really like, it's a very basic 
story, I guess. I mean, it really is just like... And a rinse and repeat type thing. Yeah, where they, they, do, they do go back to the well on certain yeah. things like a lot. But again, like once we start talking about our theory, I think that that has a lot of like weight to it. Sure. That that's happening. Um, sure. But again, from like just a standalone film perspective, like if you saw Phantasm 3 and then never seen any other Phantasm movies, you would probably think it was garbage and have no... I don't know what you would take away from it. Like maybe you would think it was like a fun, like kind of like jokey, actiony like horror movie. But it definitely doesn't stand on its own. I mean, it's only when you look at like the entire narrative thread of the first four movies that I think that there's yeah. really any kind of like weight or you can kind of see like almost, I don't know if importance is the right word, but definitely that there's something more there than just like a cheapy like horror movie. Yeah. I think some of the fun things for people who haven't seen this is, I mean, there's a, there's some intentional comedy that's fun at least like you know kind of undercuts a little bit of like the horror elements you know and the and maybe more mundane fantasy elements at times but um there's a lot of unintentional comedy too just because this really is you know especially the later ones are like b movies you know and um, one of the one of the things that i think is always i don't know maybe it's unintentional maybe it's intentional is that really your main protagonist, like the guy that's sort of like the quote-unquote action hero of the movies, yeah. is this balding schlub yes. who's who's the ice cream man in a town <laughs> who's somehow this amazing, like, action hero who carries a samurai sword and, like... Wears a, wields a shotgun yeah, all a, the time. a four-barrel right, sawed-off yes, double shotgun. Right, yes, no, yes, double shotgun. And then, um, you know... And, yeah, Reggie is... Um, yeah. Reggie's certainly, like, the driving force and I, I get we'll talk about more about the fifth movie but it's like I get why in the fifth movie maybe he's like the the real star of it yeah. um because Reggie really is like kind of like the the star the the the, the hidden star like in some of those early yeah. movies like the second third and fourth specifically sure. I think and um but yeah I, I think Reggie's really fun I think his stories like you know his subplots are always really fun I think there's some really good stuff even in the ones I don't like quite as much, like the third one. Yeah, the third um, one is not a good movie. Yeah, but even some of Reggie stuff is, is is fun because, I mean, Reggie is, like, consistently just this horny dude yeah. who's, like, you know, always trying to help, like, Michael all the time. And, you know, he just really just wants to get laid. And there's a lot of, I think, like, you know, humor with that. Some nice. of it, although some of it in 2018 is a little, like, you know, um, maybe too yeah, perfect. Per- too pervish, you know. Um, it is kind of cringy at times. Yeah, him but... Um, his, him and his acoustic guitar making up his songs. Right, right. Um, but, I, uh, I almost look at, like, Reggie as... Like... The socially awkward, like, guy that's just watching horror movies in this, as an escape is, like, how he pictures himself. Yeah. You know, is like, this... Suave... I don't know, like capable ladies man who can like fight evil and drives this like honestly next to like maybe the Mad Max movie is probably my favorite car yeah right in any movie because they so the crux of the movie is they drive a a 71 Hemi Cuda and it's it's a beautiful car and they make mention of the fact that it's a 71 Hemi Cuda right like constantly throughout like (laughs) those movies Uh, but it's 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 a beautiful car Mm -hmm. oh my god there's a line in the fifth one where he's like I started to feel right about myself once I got behind some American muscle or something. Like <laughs> yeah, some of the most like cringy dialogue. Like, 
Yeah, I think that's meant. I think so, that's what I'm saying. It's really hard. Some of it's meant to be cringy, yeah. and some of it's not. Like you know, um, uh, what's the line? There's a line in like the the first one. The first one has some of like the best unintentionally funny lines in it, where it's like you know. Damn that! Damn, you ain't doing that. That mother's strong, <laughs> and there's that mother's strong. That mother's strong. Like there's some really great stuff, like in terms of like just stuff that I always chuckle at, even yeah. though I'm not supposed to. Um, it's supposed to be delivered seriously, but so I think there's like an element of comedy to the series that really like helps it along at times, like in its viewing. Yeah, at least like lightheartedness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That it, you're not supposed to take it 100 percent seriously. Sure. And even the, the tall man himself, who I, I, I think is maybe like an underrated horror villain, mm-hmm. kind of. Like, I don't think that he gets, I mean, obviously not nearly as much recognition as like the mainstay, like horror villains. But sure, yeah. Like, people don't know his name where a lot of people might from our age might know Robert Englund's name or, you yeah. know, even people know Kane Hodder and stuff like that. Sure. I mean, like... Angus, Angus Scrim, is that right? Angus Scrim. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, rest in peace, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. No. Um... Nice old guy. If you ever like read, like see him in interviews and yeah. stuff like that, like a really like nice, kind old guy. But again, more of like almost more of like a cipher as a villain. Like he really, there's a lot of exposition that comes from the tall man that sort of explains like the movie. Mm-hmm. Whereas like a lot of antagonists, I mean, Freddy like never shuts up, but like most horror antagonists are silent murderers, yeah. and the tall man is definitely willing to tell you. Um, maybe things you don't want to hear, but he's like consistently throughout the movies, especially after the well, even at the end of the first one, then throughout like all of them, like he advances the plot a lot just mm-hmm. by kind of like talking about what's happening. Right. And so I guess I don't know. Do you want to like talk a little bit about our theory and then like kind of go into a more sure, yeah. So from this point on, um, we're going in heavy spoilers yeah. uh, at this point because we're going to have to walk through a little bit like movie by movie to kind of explain things. Um. <clears throat> So, I mean, the series as a whole, a lot of people seem like when I've like read about it like throughout the past like 20 years on the internet, like uh, things haven't really changed that much. I've seen a little bit more like po- like mention of possibilities of like what we're going to discuss in terms of like what we've been thinking for a long time. Um, but um, a lot of people just seem to accept the idea that like, you know, what you see in the movies is what is actually happening um like that's the reality of the series and that they seem to think that like michael is some sort of prince from some other dimension that the tall man is trying to um you know sway to his side and to take his rightful uh place uh you know in in place of the tall man um which i mean to some degree is kind of the story in like you know in the movies but it's like i think there's something we've always thought that there's something deeper than that and it's like a long time ago when we were teenagers uh uh, friend wesley and i um started talking about this and um when i started talking to frank about it i think he had similar ideas and like we started discussing it more um like i said probably close to 20 years ago and um you know we've talked about it on and on ever since like when the movies have come up um in conversation um so just i mean we we'll kind of start going through movies here in a second but i mean roughly the idea that we've had at least definitely through movies one through four is um certainly that uh, this is all michael's imagination that his parents have died 
I believe that's legitimate. Yeah. Like, you know, when that's mentioned in the movie. And I believe Jody's actually dead, too. Yes. Um, that his brother has died in a car in accident. A car accident. Right. And Try, trying to flee from his the feeling of responsibility of having to raise a 13-year-old kid. Right. And the fact that his parents have passed away. Right. It's mentioned a lot in the first movie that it he is. wants to leave town anyway. Right. Um, and there's some really, like, weird kind of dreamy sequences in the first movie where Michael overhears Jody talking to Reggie about... Or no, some other guy that's like a, like a friend yeah. that's in town for the funeral of another friend mm-hmm. um, about how he, like... The kid's old enough to take care of himself and sure. leave town. Yeah, and Michael follows him around all the time in the first movie, and Jody's complaining about the fact that Michael follows him yeah. around because it's like the kid, what is it, like the kid, it's almost like the kid knows I'm getting ready to leave. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, Jody's definitely, like, you know, ready to kind of, like, move on. The kid's old enough to take care of himself. Um, and, yeah, I believe he dies in a car wreck. I think that's, like, all legitimate of this. Um, but, um... But I, I think most of what happens in the series is all something that is Michael's Michael creating a fantasy for himself to deal with the trauma of his parents and his brother dying and him being kind of being left alone. It seems probably in Reggie's care is my guess is like Reggie's like kind of like his sure. like legal or makeshift like guardian at that point. Um, and this is really probably just Michael walking around thinking of this epic fantasy horror story in his head um for days or weeks you know and that really story parts one through four probably take place no more than like you know at the most a couple weeks apart and it's really just him trying to process and deal with that trauma like within a short period of time from the death of his parents and the death of Jody. right and it's interesting because reggie is presented as like the heroic figure in it which would make sense from the perspective of that theory because he's the guy that didn't abandon Michael. Sure. Like, and the tall man. So the basic premise from the first movie is that, um, Jody and Reggie are attending the funeral of a friend of theirs has passed away. And Michael has snuck into the cemetery, um, which he's not supposed to be at. And he's sort of like afraid of and sees the tall man, like performing these, like, like the tall man, like lifts a coffin off the ground by himself and puts it in a hearse. So in a lot of ways, I think that that is the first indication that it's just a fantasy of his because the tall man is basically like the, I don't know, like the, the mortician or the funeral director um, that works at Morningside Mortuary. Um, and I think that that's Michael like ascribing death to this person that yes. he just happened to see. And because death has taken away the people that he, like, his life, basically, that he cares about, like, that makes him the enemy. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the tall man really, I mean, he's got a lot of, like, supernatural powers. So he's, like, super strong, and he can create monsters out of dead bodies, and Mm -hmm. he's got some kind of, like, interdimensional, like, teleportation powers, and some sort of maybe, like, um, telekinetic powers, because the the, the main, like, the two main... I don't know, like, antagonistic forces are these little Jawa-looking things uh, that are the beings that are created from the tall man, like, crushing down um, corpses and reanimating them. Right. And then the fan, well, the, the spheres that are, like, the central, I don't know, image of the movie next to the tall man that you always see. Um, 
Which have blades and drills and... Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the, the thing is, is, with the tall man and with the spears, um, it's whatever the story necessitates them to be. So sure. the tall man will just suddenly gain powers because that's what, you know, is needed for yeah. that part of the story to move forward. The, the balls will have whatever device inside of them that they need in order to fulfill that function in the story. So it is almost like somebody making things up, like just kind of spur yeah. of the moment, um, which I think also fits in a lot of times with like what we're talking about. <clears throat> so, um, so yeah, I mean, like the you know Michael definitely I think is associated the tall man with death um, at this point, and you know he's scared of um, Jody leaving, you know, because he's I think already with uh, the death of Tommy, the friend that like Jody's yeah. friend. And then the parents, he's already described death to this guy. And he's already started creating this fantasy in his head. Um, and, you know, so he's worried about Jody leaving. You know, other star strange stuff starts to happen in town. Like once the tall man catches him at some point, like, you know, spying. Yeah. And then like weird stuff starts to happen around Michael. Um, like he sees him for the first, like the tall man... <clears throat> You kind of think that maybe the tall man sees Michael when he's spying on him in the graveyard, but definitely in town for the first time yeah. when he's like walking past right. the fucking hilarious scene where he's walking past Reggie's ice cream truck that's got like the side open and the yeah. coals blowing on him. And he turns around and looks at him in slow motion. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, and, and I mean, and that scene becomes very pivotal, like, you know, in like throughout sure. the course of the series at different points. Yeah, but the cold man, or the that, tall man's afraid of cold. Yeah, that he's afraid of cold, um, that, that, that he reacts to it. So, but, um, I, I think that's real. Like, it's one of the few things that I think in the series, it's actually legitimately real. It's like, I think Michael saw, saw the funeral director, like, you know, walking down the street and then like, you know, stop next to, you know, and do that weird kind of like head turn, like, like he's smelling almost like, you know, but it's like, he's reacting in some way, like he feels the cold, whatever it is, you know, and he's seen that. And I think that's, um, that's a real image that like Michael saw. Sure. And he's just, like, built it into his fantasy. So, um, yeah, they kind of, like, uncover, like, you know, they, they go to the mortuary, like, late at night. And, like, they start uncovering more things, like, you know, and that's when they find out that the 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 people that are being killed are being shrunk down, like, you know, into this uh, dwarf form, you know, where they're basically, like, the undead. Yeah, they're, by the gravity on this, like extra-dimensional planet right. that the tall man is from. And there's these, like, you know... Um, tuning forks. Tuning, right, these tuning forks in the ground that, like, you know, people can, like, you know, that's, that the tall man uses to kind of teleport through and, like, you know, they're, like, portals um, to different places in time and space. So they uncover all these kind of things and, um, you know, and then ultimately at the end... Um, um, Reggie reveals to Michael that... Right. Jody's dead. Yeah. And died in a car accident. Yeah. And Michael still is convinced that it's the tall man that's killed right. all of these people. Yeah. So kind of stepping back like a little bit, like, you know, going through some of the things that are specific like in here. Um, <clears throat> there's obviously, and Frank referred to him as Jawas already. So, I mean, that's one place to start is that the, the, the minions of the tall man look exactly like Jawas in terms of like, you know, their their height and the and the brown robes. <clears throat> and I did read um that apparently Coscarelli, who developed this whole series like out of like a dream that he had, um, had imagined those beings before Star Wars came out. 
um, and that they had started filming because they filmed this over the course of weekends. And somebody mentioned that, like, how similar they looked to Coscarelli, and Coscarelli had decided at that point they had thought about going to gray robes or something like that. And Coscarelli decided that it was fine, that um, it, was a, it was too much production problems to go back and, like, change that. Um, and he thought it was fine to leave it in. Um, and we'll come back to that later, but I mean, that's, that's kind of like the, the real life explanation of like why they look like Jawa so much. Um, but our theory of why they look like Jawa so much is that here's this 13 year old kid that's coming of age in like the mid to late seventies that is into science fiction, is into fantasy. Um, and while he's like creating this fantasy world for himself to explain these terrible things that happen is kind of populating it with other things from pop culture that he recognizes. And there's, there's several instances of this. Um, so if, like the one that you always talk about is the, the Dune reference. So mm -hmm. there's a scene where he goes to this girl that's presumably like sort of maybe not his girlfriend, but he's interested in, and she lives with her grandmother who's a psychic and he goes to visit and they basically reenact the scene from early in Dune where um, Paul has to put his hand in the the box, I guess. And it's the fear is the mind killer scene. And that line is actually aped in this movie. Yeah, where fear, fear is, is the killer. Fear is the killer. Yeah. So again, you get the... It sort of, sort of lends, I, I think, like if you start to think about it, the idea that Michael is like populating this world with other things. Yes. Like yeah. his fantasy with other things that he knows and other things that he's seen. Mm -hmm. Whether it's conscious or, like, unconscious. Sure, yeah. I mean, and, and there, I think there's, like, little, like, meta hints, like, you know, throughout, too, at times. Like, you know, there's things like that psychic's granddaughter, when, like, after that whole scene, like, you know, kind of ends where he puts his hand in the box and he has to, like, stop being scared in order to get out of it. Um, she tells him it's all in your mind. Um, which becomes, like, kind of, like, this mantra throughout the series at yeah. different points. This idea of, like, you know, the mind and stuff like that. And to the then, point where it actually becomes, like, a physical... yes. Yeah. Like psych, not psych gag, but like right. becomes part of the I don't know the actual story, like the itself, crux yeah. of the third and fourth movie that it actually is like it in is his mind, right? Physically, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there's like all these references to like you know the tall man says it all the time. It's like you play a good game, boy. Like you yeah. know, it's like that the, the, there's some kind of game being played. Um, even though there's like this life and death stakes, like it doesn't you know it seems like more of a game, but it's. Um, <clears throat> So, I, I think there's these little meta hints, like, even early, like, in, in the series that, like, these kind of things are happening. Um, when, when we get to the scene that's in front of the fireplace where Reggie, like, after, like, you know, he's, he's, he's defeated the tall man, presumably, like, in the sense of, like, you know, get trapping him under rocks in, like, a, a mine shaft at the end of the first movie, and Reggie tells him that Jody's dead, um... <clears throat> You know, even when he tells him that, like, Mike's, like, first reaction is, like, you know, still thinking about the tall man. I know it won't hold, the rocks won't hold him, you know, like, not for long. And Reggie's telling him, like, hey, you had a dream. It was just a nightmare. Um, you know, and Mike just says he took mom and dad, then Jody, and then now he wants me. Um, <clears throat> so... There's, like, this idea that, like, you know, Mike is, like, having a hard time with the fantasy. Yeah. Like, you know, distinguishing between the two. Um, and then that movie ends with <laughs> ends up becoming, like, this almost running joke. Where, at the end of the movie, like, you think, like, the tall man's defeated. And 
Um, you know, he in this movie it's through a mirror. Yeah. Um, but it's like uh, Michael, like you know, one of like the the Jawa creatures, like you know, a couple of them pull him through a mirror, or, like break through and pull him through. Um, that becomes a running joke at the end of all of them of like somebody going through glass or a mirror yeah. or something like that. Um, you know, at the end. So. We move on to the second movie, and that ends up jumping in time at least, like, I would say, like, another, like, seven or eight years, presumably. Um, Mike was recast in the second one um, by the actor James LaGrosse, um, like I said earlier, due to, like, studio interference. <clears throat> um, and that starts with him in, um, basically, like, a mental hospital. Yep. Um, where he's sharing dreams with, um, um, a girl, Liz, um, who they seem to be sharing dreams together of the tall man. And he, um, ends up getting released to Reggie. Um, it's been like, so, you know, X number of years and Reggie's coming to pick him up. And, uh, you know, you find out now Reggie has a family. He has, um, wife and daughter, wife and, daughter and, you know, they're like driving back and Reggie, like, you know, is, um, you know, telling him how the daughter's excited to meet her Uncle Mike for the first time. And as soon as, like, they're pulling up to the house, the house just blows up. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, um, and then we go ahead and, like, you know, they have to, like, pick up and move on. And at this point, like, now Reggie's convinced, like, Mike, you know, because the tall man now also has been taking towns. Like, you know, like, I guess the towns are just wiped out and just decimated by the tall man. So it's starting to, like, at this point in the second movie, build this, like, larger mythology. Like, Almost like a post-apocalyptic idea that the tall man's, like, ravaging the entire countryside in his effort to, like, gain these little Jawa creatures. Right, right, years. yeah. So they start, they decide to take the fight to the tall man. They start um, tracking him. <clears throat> excuse me, along the highway, like, you know, finding these towns that he's, you know, decimated. Um, <clears throat> so, at that point, they pick up, like, a hitchhiker in that movie. Like, that's the first real hitchhiker that gets picked up, and that becomes a running theme through the movies, is, like, somebody, Reggie always picking somebody up on the side of the road. Yeah, an attractive, big-breasted woman, basically. Right. Yeah. So, um, so he picks her up, and, um, you know, they, um, they end up in a mortuary again, like, you know, at the end of that movie. And I'm trying to think, cause I get two and three confused. Is that, which, which they're basically is, the same movie. They are, but it's like, which, how do they kill him in the second movie or like, you know, stop him in the second movie? The tall, the man. tall man? Yeah. The, um, it's the third one where they like, you know, use the, um. The free they freeze them the nitrogen so yeah so it's the second one is they use the embalming fluids yeah, yeah like in exactly. his back yep. and you know stab him and he like ends up melting or whatever yeah. so and then they're like you know in the hearse at the end um trying to like you know it seems like they got away but the hitchhiker that reggie picked up is like you know when he starts talking to her he realizes like part of her like scalp falls off and he realizes she's undead now and you know and then um you know uh you know, Mike and Liz are in the back of the hearse, and then, who is it, is it Liz that gets pulled out of the hearse? Yes. Like, yeah, like, Liz gets pulled out, like, through the glass of the hearse, in the back of the hearse. So, um, you know, it's it's a pretty, you know, that's one of those movies where it's, like, you really have to, like, you know, there's, like, it's lighthearted at times, like, you know, there's comedy, like, in terms of, like, especially stuff with Reggie, and, 
Um, but it really is just like a simple story of like a, them stalking the tall man and trying to like find him to kill him. Um, so there's a few that were interesting things in this movie. Do you want to talk a little bit about like the mental hospital stuff? Like what that signifies to you? So I don't know because like the more that we talk about it right now, the more I don't know that. I don't know that over the course of the four films, Mike ever grows up beyond being a 13-year-old boy. Yeah. I like, I think in, in real life, he still is 13. <clears throat> so, in a lot of ways, maybe it just represents his own, like, realization that maybe he is a little crazy. Yeah. Um, and trying to, like, justify whatever emotional or psychological problems he's having, like, coping with death by putting himself in a situation where other people think he's crazy, but he's not crazy. Yes. Like he's, he's figured things out. Like he knows the truth of things. Right. No one believes them except for this girl who shares. Right. And that's another thing too, is that, so Mike, like if, if, if we still like go into the pretense that everything is just in Mike's head, like it's all Mike's fantasy. Mike has very romantic love ideas about women when it's related to himself. Yes. Like, it's not sexual love for Mike. It's romantic. It's yeah. like... It's a deep connect. They share a yeah. brain, you know? I mean, it's Classical, a like, I don't know, like soulmate type love. Mm -hmm. In Reggie's case, because I think that he creates Reggie as like a... In his fantasy world, Reggie's his alpha male, like, hero figure. Mm -hmm. Reggie always has... I mean, it's smarmy and, like, cringy at times, but it's always sexual love. Yeah. But it's never, like, real sex. It's always... It's some of the worst, like, fakest sex in any... Yeah. And, I mean, nudity is, like, a huge part of horror movies from, like, through the 70s through, like, even, like, into the early 90s. Um, but it's all very... It's like someone imagining sex that has no idea what sex is. Yeah. So it's basically just boobs. Yeah, and I'll jump ahead to this movie and, and, and the example from the... You know, the, the third movie the is, third I think, movie. the most ridiculous example. Sure, sure. So, in this movie with the hitchhiker, um, there's a scene with um, uh, him and the hitchhiker where the girl's riding him, and he still has, like, all of his clothes on, but yeah. she's riding him as if she's having, as if they're, as if she's riding him sexually. Yeah. And, you know, is, like, so over the top in terms of, like, you know, this kind of, like, you know, like, seemingly, like, you know enjoyment and you know maybe in the orgasm but it's like so over the top and ridiculous that it's like it's, it's it seems like it's somebody who doesn't actually know yeah. what sex is like which might be like a 13 year old kid that's seen like breasts and has like an understanding of like what a naked woman looks like right but only maybe from the top up like has no idea what is happening like in real intercourse just as knows that the woman gets on top and Sure, and then like in the third one, uh, pretty much the third one. The, I only say mention that jumping ahead is because it's pretty much the same thing. There's like a, exactly like Reggie again, like you know, uh, I think he's like kind of like in a doggy style position with the with the girl in that, and it's like but he has his clothes on still. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like you know, again, like there's this idea that it's like he he has this rough idea of what sex is maybe from movies or those kind of things or pictures but like he really doesn't actually understand what's going on there also the idea that like reggie's like his a brother to him and he right. doesn't want to think about reggie being like naked or i think there's an element of that i also think there's an element that um 
he's really like the the fourth one though, and I'll ju- I'll just deal with all the sexual stuff now. The fourth one is where the um the the person that Reggie picks up on the side of the road the um the the spears come out at, like she opens up her um uh, top like yeah. you know and and her breasts are exposed and like spears come out of her body like through the breasts mm-hmm. um you know which is a visual gag to some degree but um I think that Mike. If it's all in his head, I think Mike is scared of the idea of Reggie actually having a female to have sex with even. Because if that happens, then it's something that... Like, think about it. Like, he kills off Reggie's unseen family. Yeah. Like, immediately. You know? Um, and well, it's something that might take Reggie away from him. Right. That's what I'm saying. Right. And it's like, even 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 sex is something that might take Reggie sure. away from him. So I think that, like, you know, killing off the family, I think the fact that, like, Reggie, like, you know, never actually has sex, like, you know, it's like he's usually denied, and then even when he does, he doesn't know, like, seemingly know what it's about. Like, I think it's I think it's definitely all in the mind of, like, this 13-year-old kid who yeah. doesn't know what sex is, and is scared that, like, his, you know, hero protector Reggie, like, you know, at this point, Guardian, is going to leave him if he gets sexually involved with somebody. I think that's all manifesting itself. And one of the things in the first movie that is kind of driving Jody to leave is this idea that he wants to get away from the small town and, like, meet these women. And, like, I mean, he's... Right. Jody is a much more believable... I don't know, like, suave adult male yeah. character than Reggie ever. Like, sure. Reggie's sure. almost like a caricature. Yeah. I mean, not even almost. Like, Reggie yeah. is a caricature most of the time. Yeah, he's like this hippie who, you know, um, you know, drives an ice cream truck around yeah. town and plays his guitar, like, you know, in this, like, small, like, you know, band. Like, with his ponytail and with his right. bald yeah. head and his ice cream. Sure. That ice cream vendor outfit is ridiculous. It is, yeah. For, like, yeah. The majority Part- of the films... The, mean, fir- guess, the first movie he does, yeah. and then it comes back again. But um, the second movie, some other things that I think are notable um, is um, the one of the spears um, suddenly has a scanning beam that's like scanning the room, like you know the the, the sense presence. And when it activates, it has a very distinct, almost like lightsaber noise, and it's a red beam, and. Um, that appears in the third movie again, where um, Jody is now is like because become a spear, um, and he has a blue beam, and it's like, and again, it seems like an, almost it's like now conscious Star Wars um, effort uh, or like a conscious effort to like recreate something from Star Wars and kind of incorporate yeah. it in at this point. Um, more meta commentary, like in the second movie at the very end. Liz and Mike kind of realize, like, you know, or kind of, like, seem to think, like, you know, we're going to wake up, it's only a dream. Like, so there's this idea that it's, like, they've got to the point where it's, like, so scary, like, it's almost like Mike kind of wants to get out of the fantasy, and that's, like, the end of that part of it. So then we move on to the third movie, um, and so it picks up, like Frank said, they pick up, like, right where the last one left off, so... This starts with that hearse scene again, um, you know, where Liz has been ripped out of the back. You know, the hearse ends up exploding. Liz dies. Um, Mike's comatose for a couple of years. Like, he has this kind of, like, near-death experience where he encounters Jody and the tall man. Um, and then shortly thereafter, the tall man kidnaps Mike. Um, Reggie um, uh, goes after him, and, like, Jody's kind of following him along and leading him, like, in, like, his spear form now, like, yeah. um, where he can manifest himself, like, you know, um, so you actually see, like, you know, the character, 
um, but like he like moves in spear form. Uh, <clears throat> so Reggie, like you know, this story really becomes about Reggie a lot, like you know, throughout the middle of this, um, where Reggie ends up encountering this young boy uh, named Tim, um, and he's almost like um, almost like a like Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone, except for like he's actually wielding like weapons and stuff yeah. like that, like you know he's. He's pretty badass. Yeah, he's, like, this little, like, badass. Um, you know, then he also encounters, like, you know, this um, this black woman named Rocky who's, like, you know, tough as nails and, like, you know, isn't going to take anybody's shit, like, and certainly isn't going to take Reggie's shit, like, when it comes to, like, Reggie trying to, like, bang her, um, <clears throat> which he tries to do multiple times. Um, so eventually, like, you know, at one point, like, you know, throughout, there's also these really bad subplot with these... Um, uh, these criminals that end up, like, you know, they end up killing, but they end up coming back in, like, undead form again, and, like, there's this, that's a whole really bad subplot that kind of extends way too far in that movie, I think. And <clears throat> so eventually, though, Jody ends up leading him, um, Reggie, like, you know, out of a dream, it seems, which is weird, but, like, Reggie's having a dream where he's having sex with, Rocky, and then, like, Jody kind of comes in and is like, hey, let's go, but it's, like, it's it's very weird, like, the way it's filmed, it kind of seems like it's being presented as a dream, and then, like, suddenly it turns into the reality, where Jody leads into the mortuary, and, um, that's where Mike's being held at by, you know, the tall man's holding Mike at, so, they get there, you know, the undead criminals come back into the story again, and, like, you know, so they're, they're fighting them, they're fighting the tall man, they're fighting the spears, they're fighting these guys in gas masks now, because there's a lot of people in gas masks that also work for the tall man, apparently. Yeah, because the world is gone to shit. Sure, sure. So, um... So the tall man, like you know, now has um, Mike, and he's he's trying to he's getting ready to operate on him. So he ends up operating him on him and putting um, a golden spear, a golden spear yeah. in his head. Um, and um, after he's been operated on, like you know, the trio comes in, like you know, Reggie and Rocky and the little boy, and they come in. They eventually uh, use um, what'd you say it was nitrogen? Nitrogen. Um, the uh, well, I mean, it's it. It's cryogenic freezing in right. this, this mortuary. Yeah. And they end up, um, let me think how it is. They use the cryogenic freezing to, like, basically kill the tall man, but then the tall man turns into a spear, right? Or, like, the spear comes out of him? The spear, yeah, they, they, they then, freeze him, and then the spear comes out of his frozen body. Yeah. Again, the tall man has a golden spear, too, um, that kind of comes out of his head. And then Reggie... I guess uses a plunger like you know he finds a plunger and like he catches the spear and a plunger and dumps it into a nitrogen tank and um so yeah so and then um so Mike um gets up from the operating table like his eyes turn black you can see like the golden orb like you know because his head hasn't closed up yet kind of sticking out of it and his eyes turn black and he tells Reggie to leave him alone like you know he needs to go off on his own and um, that he's cold, and he leaves, and, um, you know, uh, Rocky, like, you know, doesn't want to be with him anymore, so she, like, ends up taking off, and then Reggie decides to go back into the mortuary and clean out because there was, like, more things in there, so he's going to go finish off the place, and, like, the little boy goes in with him, and then, um, the little boy, like, you know, kind of, like, loses him for a minute, goes into another room, finds Reggie being pinned up by, you know, like, 
40, like, you know, these spear balls, like, you know, and their knives, like, against the wall. And, um, and Tim, like, the little boy, ends up being the one that gets, like, pulled through the glass, like, you know, at the end of this one. Um, I don't know if there's much really going on. Like, this is, it's such a repeat of the second one. It is. So, I, I think... Not, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I think that, like, in the, like, just in the scope of, you know, what our theory is, I think this is Mike on the verge of thinking that maybe he should, like, kill himself. Because the fourth yeah. movie, there's definitely, there's, like, a very... There's ideation in the fourth movie, yeah. That he's going to, like, kill himself. Yeah. Like, that's what he needs to do to, like, escape yeah, from sure. it. And I think this is leading up to that, where, like, maybe from a mental standpoint... Like, he knows that he can't keep depending on Reggie to be, like, his hero and to save things. And he has to, like, just recognize that, like, it's in himself. And that maybe he is in that dark place where he thinks he's going to kill himself. Well, to that point, at one point he's on the operating table and Mike says to the tall man, let me out of here. And the tall man replies, use your your brain, brain. boy. You know, um, yeah. Um, no, I think that's exactly right. It's like he realizes, like you know, that he's um, that Reggie's not always going to be there for him, and they're going to not be together sometimes. And yeah, I think that's exactly right. I I think the third movie is. I did not enjoy the fifth movie, but I think the third movie is maybe the worst movie. Yes, in the franchise. Um, again, definitely derivative of the second movie in mm. so many ways. Yeah. Um, and weird because like. I mean, I guess there's like six years gap between the second and the third movie. Um, but again, I, I yeah, I, I think it's Mike like coming to terms with the fact that these people are dead and yeah. they're not coming back and that it's like changed him in some way and moving into the idea that like now the only way that he can like escape himself is through, you know, he has these thoughts of suicide. Yeah, I, th- I definitely think to, to your point about suicide ideation, it's like the tall man at one point like tempts him again on the operating table and he says that um well he says to him he says that your journey is now complete by like putting the ball into him and the way that scrim says those lines like immediately i was like where's that from and like i typed it in and the first thing that popped up was um the the emperor Emperor saying your journey to the dark side will be complete and it's like yeah it's almost the same cadence so he delivers those back to like the idea from what we were talking about in the first movie where a lot of these things that he sees are like sort of like manifestations of like pop culture knowledge or whatever. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, the tall man is just kind of like Darth Vader. I mean, yes. he's this imposing supernatural like force that can like manifest. I don't know, like like the way Darth Vader uses the force, like the tall man can do all these things, and even to like his voice and his carriage and. Just his, like, mm-hmm. imposingness. Yeah. So, and who knows, like, if that's purposeful on Coscarelli's part. But Yeah, I don't think it was, like, because I think it started actually maybe filming maybe before Star Wars, yeah, maybe. So. Well, Star Wars is 77, this is 79, yeah. so. Yeah, but they started filming, like, years before yeah. this came out, so. Um, but definitely, like, plays into that idea of just this menacing, I don't know, almost, like, force of nature type mm-hmm. villain. Um, that also, in the same way that Vader, like, tempts Luke, you yeah. know, with, like, power and escape and... Right. The tall man is constantly tempting Mike in that. 
Sure. Um, well, yeah, I mean, he tempts Mike, like, literally by saying, like, you know, basically with some form of death. Yeah. In it I, by saying that, like, he can escape this imperfect flesh that holds him the time and space. So, again, I think there's, you're right, there's these thoughts of, like, suicide in Mike's head to some degree. Yeah, and, like, because he always equates that figure, you know, the guy who, and you find out in the fourth movie, um, which I think is probably true, uh, the Jedi Morningside, who's the actual like mortuary owner, right. was it's played by Angus Scrim and is right. just like this nice normal man. Yeah, right. Um, I I think that that's true. That that yeah. really is. Like, I think that's person right. Was. Right. He met him, and that's exactly what he was like. He was very nice and kind. Sure. And, but that thirteen-year-old brain can't get past sure. the fact that this is the guy that represents right. death and yes. the death of my family. And, right. That's his. That's his escape. Is that he's like yeah. almost like if he goes and dies too, and is taken care of by right, the same yeah. guy. That yeah, that'll just be the end of like his suffering or Absolutely. his journey or whatever. So yeah. So I mean, um, so moving on to the fourth movie, we'll go ahead. Like you know, it picks up like where Mike's like fled from the third movie. He's in Death Valley. He's he's driving to Death Valley because he's going to try to confront the tall man. Um, he wants to try to, and he's going to. Um, He's going to try to, his plan now is to hang himself at the beginning of that movie in order to draw out the, the tall man so he can confront him, like, you know, yeah. maybe for the final showdown. So we've, we've definitely want suicide now at this point, yeah. like the idea of killing himself. Um, mean, he's going to conquer basically his fear of death by dying himself. Right, right. Yeah, it's the only way to get through the, the fear of it is to actually do it. Um, yeah. So... Um, a couple interesting things when Mike walks through like the rocky like you know pathway like through like Death Valley to like where he's going um there's a scene with one of the dwarves like looking at him like through the rocks and then they're like a, a couple you know a few scenes later there's a scene with one of those guys in the gas mask like looking at him um which looks very much like a Tuscan Raider and I think now at this point like in the series it's it's entirely deliberate sure. like he's embraced Coscarelli as a filmmaker has embraced the fact that like you're supposed to think of these things almost right. as like yeah. Star Wars caricatures. Sure. Um, inspired and, 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 and accurate Star Wars which is the reason I mentioned the spears of the red and the blue is because those are represented in the 1977 original just like this scene here is represented in the 1977 original Star Wars movie. So um, I do think Coscarelli is actually almost like consciously putting these things in and they have to be references to before 1979. Um, much like I think the girl's name being Rocky um, in the third movie is also like 76 Rocky comes out. You know, yeah. I can't remember when the sequel comes out. Like, But it's like Rocky's in the public consciousness at that point. Um, <clears throat> you know, when that happens. So um, while... So Mike goes and like hangs himself. Um, and um, that's when he... The tall man appears, and the tall man seemingly won't let him die, like, for some reason. Yeah. And then Mike flees through a t portal, and that's when he meets this Jebediah Morningside, who, in the past, in, like, the 1800s... Yeah, that's um, the pretense. That's the pretense. He goes through this portal, he meets Jebediah Morningside from the 1800s, and Jebediah Morningside is the tall man. It's just, like, you know, in the past when he was a normal human being. Sure, but just the owner of the mortuary... Right, like an right. amateur scientist, I think too. Yeah, he's like, right, and he's like trying to like you know, um, you know, figure out like yeah, the Jebediah Morningside. You find out later is like 
he's this amateur scientist who's trying to figure out like what death is. Yeah. Um, and his investigations like lead him to, you know, um, discovering like, you know, this other dimension and all this like time uh, dimensional travel and stuff. So, um, so when Mike goes to kill himself though, before like, you know, that happens with the hanging and he like meets Morningside, I'll step back for just a second. Um, He's writing his last will and testament, you know, and then um, he also opens up the casket because, um, you know, he's stolen a hearse from the third movie. He opens up the caskets in the back and there's like a fresh pair of clothes that looks like the tall man's. But it's also exactly what, like, you would dress somebody if they were going sure. to die. Um, so it's like, you know. Well, after they're dead. Like right, 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 right. One, the, right, yeah. yeah. For like a funeral. Yeah. Sure. Um, so, like, I, I, I definitely think, like... I definitely think in his fantasy, like, Mike at this point is, like, you know, this is probably the closest he's, like, come to, like, killing himself. Yeah, right? I, I think he, there's either a failed attempt here. Yeah. Or he's, like, so strongly considering it that, and it actually plays into the end of this movie where the tall man removes, you know, the spear from Mike's brain. Mike has a conversation with Jody where Jody tells him, like, I died in the car wreck. So I think that the end of this movie... And actually why I enjoy this movie, like, after the first movie is my second favorite of the Fantastic yeah, yeah. movies. It really is, like, Mike coming to terms with the fact that these things happen, that he's got to move on from it, basically. Right. Um, and there's nothing that he can do to change the fact that, you know, his parents and his brother are dead. Yeah. Um, so... So, once all that happens, he flees through the portal, he finds Jebediah Morningside, nice old guy, offers him lemonade. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's, he's such a nice old guy. Um, and the Jebediah Morningside's wife is that psychic yep. in the movie. Um, so, he, like, equates something, that experience with, if that thing with the psychic, obviously the hand in the box isn't real, but if that woman actually exists, but maybe that is Jebediah Morningside's wife. Maybe. You know, and he equates her with this kind of evil witch figure that, you know, um, puts his traps, his hand in the box and, you know, was trying to teach him a lesson about fear. But I also, okay, so <clears throat> jumping back way to the first movie, yeah. I don't think that Mike was allowed to go to the funerals. Like, mm -hmm. I think that's the thing that he, him spying on the graveyard. So in the first movie, he rides like his dirt bike into the graveyard and is spying like with binoculars. Yeah. I think that's probably true. And yeah. I think that he probably misinterpreted in his grief or whatever like things that he was seeing yeah and so again like jumping back you know to the, or jumping forward to the fourth movie these people that he's created as characters in his like fantasy narrative mm -hmm. are just people that he saw and misinterpreted what they were sure <clears throat> because he wasn't deemed old enough to like be able to cope with you know actually going and experiencing like the funeral of his parents and even right. like the funeral of his brother sure um yeah and to that point it's even again going back to the first one the lady in lavender um which kills their friend tommy at the very beginning of yeah. the first movie and then like um is almost like you know sleeps with jody the jody almost sleeps with her but then like it gets ruined um you know, I wonder if Mike hasn't, as he's following Jody around, hasn't seen this woman at the bar, and sure. like, and, and Tommy probably did sleep with her before. However, he died, like you know, in real life. Um, that like he knows that like this is like some woman about town that you know, and then associates with her with you know um, taking people away from him and stuff like I that. Mean, he and, describes that with Reggie too at some point too, where he brings her back. He does. He does as yeah, like yeah, a. Yeah. 
possible sexual partner sure. slash antagonist towards right. Reggie. Sure, sure. Um, and that's more like in the fifth movie. Yeah. Thing. So in the fourth movie, right before he goes through the portal and finds Jebediah Morningside, the tall man tells him, again, another meta reference I think here is, be careful what you look for, you might just find it. Um, and then suddenly, like, he goes through and he, that's when he meets this nice yeah. old funeral director. And I, I think, like, what all this is, is, like, you know, whether it's an actual suicide attempt, whether it's, like, him getting as closest to actually maybe, like, yeah. doing it, it's, like, reality is starting to collapse in on um, his fantasy. Yeah. Like, he, he can't help it. And... You know, meanwhile, throughout this movie, like, Reggie's been trying to find him. Reggie has, like, another failed hitchhiker, yeah. like, you know, encounter. You know, but he, he eventually gets to Death Valley. And, um, he, um, when he gets to Death Valley, he puts on the ice cream vendor outfit. Yeah. Um, which is ridiculous. Ridiculous, like why you're watching the movie to some degree. It doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. It only makes sense if this if, is part of Mike's yeah, fantasy. If, if, if we're right, right, it makes complete sense. Sure, sure. because it's again like Mike, like bringing Reggie back more to right who he is in 1979 as opposed to sure this fantasy like action hero he's created under this like ridiculous man. Right. So while he's like going jumping through portals and meeting the morning side like you know there's this stuff he's upset with jody um you know throughout all this and it's like where jody's been this like you know has been his brother again but in spear form through the third movie he's starting to like distrust jody in a lot of ways which again i think is reality collapsing sure. in on itself um even more so eventually it's to the point where jody actually attacks him um and the him and jody and the tall man take him um, and are trying to operate on him again for, it seems like, unknown reasons. You don't know, like, at the time while they're trying to operate on him. Um, and meanwhile, Reggie's in, um, you know, they're trying to all open his head, though. So, anyway, like, Mike has been, had been in, early in the movie, like, creating, like, you know, this, you know, thing, like, out of the engine of, like, the tall man's, like, you know, yeah. um, hearse, and... He uses the spear that he created to kill Jody, um, and as Jody's dying, he sits there and tells Mike, um, he croaks out, I died in the car wreck, yeah. Mike. You know? Um, so again, it's reality collapsing in, and <clears throat> we, we, we get all these elements that like these real things are coming back. Mike jumps through the portal, flees again, and it's like, you, there's this idea of fleeing constantly in sure. this movie. Um, jumping through these like different portals, trying to trying find to a... escape that reality, right. basically. Right. Like, and the reality just keeps tracking him down to the point where it's like he uses. He's also created some kind of like dimensional bomb out of the hearse yeah. to kill the tall man, and tall man dies, and then the new tall man just steps through another portal, and you know ends up coming over to the now prone Mike because the the bomb kind of like hurt him too. And reaches in and takes out the golden spear out of his head. Um, and walks away. So, at that point, Reggie comes over to him and says, you know, you know, checks on him. And it's like, I'm dying, I'm Reg. Dying, Reg yeah. You know, and then at that point, we get to what you referenced, which is 1979 again. Yes. He's so, walking down the street at night. Reggie comes up in his ice cream, ice cream truck. And picks him up. Picks him up. They're sitting there and they're driving in silence and, you know, we hear the voiceover again from that line, I'm dying, Reg, like over top of them dri driving and Reggie kind of like looks around almost like he heard something 
and asks him if he heard that, and Michael replies, smirks, and says it's only the wind. Which I I think is the clearest indicator that all of that that happened, like we said in the beginning of this, is over the course of a brief period of time between when his parents died and when Jody died. And it's him just coming to terms with the fact that they're dead and that he has to continue on. And that all of those things were just, I mean, it's like as ephemeral as the wind. Like, it's just a fantasy that he had. Right. Um, And that's the end of the movie. And honestly, like, really what should be the end of the series in a lot of ways. Yes, I agree. Ravager is, I don't know, not, not a great movie. Maybe not even a good movie. Maybe not even a watchable movie in some ways. I don't <laughs> right, know. yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty rough. But, so in, in respect to like an actual, like a narrative, you know, a narrative arc from start to finish, and like in relation to our theory, one, the end of four like ties up everything that you need to know yeah. about the movie or the series, and it's just a good ending to yeah. it. Um, yeah. So five, mm-hmm. which not directed by Coscarelli, like story, I think, or partially written by Coscarelli. Yeah, the script is co-written by Coscarelli. Yeah, story and direction by somebody else. I can't remember who. Yeah. Um, mostly, it takes place from Reggie's point of view, yeah. where Reggie presumably has dementia and is in like a nursing home of some kind or like an assisted care home, and Mike is an adult and is kind of there helping him, sort of. Mm-hmm. And Mike is lucid and. Reggie's the one that keeps like slipping into fantasy that he's still this, he's this action hero. Right. So it was interesting because I, I had never seen Ravager until today. Yeah. Watched it for the first time yeah. today. Um, I, I think it's more that Mike is doing for Reggie what Reggie did for Mike when Mike was at his lowest point as a kid. And that now Reggie really is like sick and right. old and dying, you know, because it's 20 or no, 30 some years yeah, right, yeah. after 37 years, I guess. Right. Yeah. After like the events of the original movie. So Reggie's like an old man. Right. And I, I think he, it really is just Mike, like helping Reggie to come in the same way that Reggie helped Mike get past the death of his brother and his yeah. parents, that Mike is helping Reggie, come to terms and get past the fact that he's dying and that he has like early onset dementia. Right. And I, I think that's true. Um, Reggie definitely like, if you just look at it as a standalone movie, it's basically like the greatest hits, of the phantasm series, yeah. but done in like, against some of the worst, like green screen special effects I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. Um, like 2001 special effects in 2016, yeah. more or less. Yeah. Um, but it really is, it, it, it's the story of, like, Reggie, like, coming to his end, basically. Yeah. And... Yeah, I mean, I think the only legitimate thing possibly in the whole movie, again, is, like, the idea that, like, the scenes with Mike and Reggie, like, at the like at the hospital, I guess, outside, maybe, like, to some degree, um, and then Reggie dying. And even that, I think, is um, because Jody's there with him when Reggie dies, like it's Michael and Jody, like at his at his side, like when he when he when he dies in the hospital, which I don't think is real. No, I Jody... think it's in his head. Yeah, right. Like yeah. Reggie's head. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then the like the coder or whatever, where the people from the third movie are still alive and they're off like fighting a war against the Thin Man. That might just be like sort of a 
nostalgic way of saying that, like, Reggie doesn't really die because he can still live on right. in, like, this fantasy world that might be sure. created in the first place. Right, yeah. Where, like, they're all alive and they're all together and they're all, like, just continuing yeah. in this... I mean, I think you could also take it if it, uh, like, with, along with what we've been saying and, like, with our theories, I, I think it's possible. I think there's a couple of different ways you can take it, too. But it's, like, I think that, um, I think you could take it that this is Mike's, all Mike's imagination to kind of give Jody... Michael is going through emotional turmoil again because Joe or, or Reggie. Reggie's dying. Yeah. And he's creating this fantasy in his head to give Reggie this kind of almost like almost like a Viking funeral, like this epic send off, like, you know, for Reggie, like, you know, who's this old feeble man who's got dementia and is dying, and he's creating a story in his head of what happens to Reggie. To give him this send off, so end. I think it's actually a little different. Like I, I think that that's right, but I think it's a little different than that. Mm. I, I, I think, and it, it's it's stated like explicitly at one point where Mike says to Reggie, "I'm supposed to engage with you. Right. I'm supposed to keep your like keep your mind active." Mm-hmm. So I think, I, I think it is Mike like creating a story, mm-hmm. but not for his own benefit to like mourn Reggie, mm-hmm. but for Reggie's benefit. To be able to, like, not be as confused and as scared. Because there's a lot of times where Reggie, like, pops back into, like, lucidity, I think. Right. Where he's alone, like, in the hospital. Yeah. Like, there's one point where he's next to Scrim. Scrim's, like, in bed. Sure. Well, not in bed next to him, but in the bed in the same room as him. Yeah. There's the other time where he's, like, on the lawn where he finds, like, the tuning forks. Right. And I think that Reggie really does have moments where, as an old man, like, he can see reality, but he still is, like, confused. Yeah. And I think it's more Mike kind of helping to like clarify Reggie's thoughts a little bit like in a kind way like help Reggie sort of see himself which would be a very optimistic thing is now Mike's to a point where he can use those fantasies yeah. that were a crutch at one point to actually help somebody now and yeah and repay the guy that helped him through like sure. it, it, it really sure. is the thought of Reggie as like the hero right yeah. that helps Mike through all four of those movies like mm-hmm. Reggie is the guy that's protecting him and looking for him and Sure. Never abandoning his quest. To yeah, like and Michael his... recognizes that. He tells the tall man at one point, because like, when he's going to um, commit suicide, um, or hang himself out in Death Valley, the tall man's in the, like, the ghost almost, like, or projection is sitting in the back of the hearse talking to him. And the tall man's basically taunting him into, like, you know, coming to join him, which yeah. is death. And... Um, he says, like, you know, Reggie will come after me. He always finds me. He always comes after me, you know? And it's like, I think that, um, I think he recognizes that Reggie's that element that's, like, kind of holding that tether to not killing himself, you know, in some ways. And Jody's, or I mean, Reggie's the one that's always there for him, um, you know, in the end. So, yeah, I, I like that, like, interpretation of the fifth one. Like, I, not a good movie no, at no. all. But I mean, I mean but I, really, aside from, like, the first one, none of them. I think the first and the fourth are good. I think as bookends, like, to one yes. another, I think the, they're really good. The, the fourth is definitely, like I said, the second best yeah. movie in the in the franchise. Yeah. And really, you could just watch the first and the fourth and sure. you'd be fine. Yeah. Um, the second and the third are... The second, the third, and the fifth are just weird, like, fan service movies almost. Yeah. And they don't... None of them work as standalone films. Um, not even that the fourth one works as a standalone film, but it definitely works as, like, a good sequel to the first. Like, yeah. the, the, the good, like... I don't know, final events of whatever, like, that narrative. Um, 
honestly, aside from the first movie, I don't think any of them work unless you look at it from our perspective. Like, sure. I think that if you look at these, if if you could suspend your disbelief enough to actually believe that this is just that is what's happening, like these mm-hmm. things are occurring, like they're ridiculous movies. Oh, they're, sure. They're so so bad. Oh like, yeah. Really there's leaps of logic. There's plot holes. There's like yeah. you know. I mean, there's a there's a moment in the fourth one which I I don't know if I quite understand or not, but. Because Coscarelli, I don't know if you know this, Coscarelli filmed a three-hour movie for the original Phantasm. That's why he has all that old footage. Yeah. Um, it was originally three hours, and he cut it down. And there's a, he reuses like or uses old footage for a new purpose in the fourth one a lot, um, including the very final scene yeah. where Reggie picks uh, Michael up. But there's a, he, he introduces the idea that Michael hung the tall man at one point. Yeah, instead it, of like burying him in the right, rather yeah. than burying him under the rocks in the mine shaft, he hung him like he tricked him and hung him, like you know, and like it basically trapped him. And then he goes later at night, like the tall man whispers to him in his bed, and he goes back out in the middle of the night, and the tall man is still hanging there. And they make a deal where the tall man will leave him alone, him and his family, if Michael cuts him down, he'll leave town. Uh, which totally like retcons yeah. the entire first movie, so it's like it's almost like Michael can't even keep his own fantasy his own fantasy straight. straight, and and that happens a couple times. Like sure. I think it's funny in the fifth one, even it's like where the first thing like Reggie like you know mentions about all the things that the tall man's taken away from him, and it's not until the middle of the movie that he mentions his family. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, it's like he talks about Jody and Michael and like, sure. you know, and then it's like, but he doesn't mention Reggie, his family at all. Reggie killed my wife and my, my wife and daughter. Right. He doesn't Reggie, mention. Reggie gets like fatally stabbed at one point. Oh, mom. and then at the, end, at the end of the first one. And then it's just like, never yeah, met. Well, that's when he wakes up and Reggie's yeah. telling him your, your brother died in a car wreck. Mom. So yeah, I don't think, I, I think that's part of the, maybe the charm and what lends credence to like our theory is yeah. that it is a flawed narrative because. He's continuously, like, making up the same fantasy over sure. and over to try and, like, cope with what's happened to him. Yeah. And, I, and I'm convinced, um, I'm even convinced at the end of the fourth movie where Reggie dons the ice cream vendor outfit and then reality starts collapsing in on itself. I think if Mike's walking around, like, you know, in the evening like he is, I wonder if reality is collapsing in on itself because he can hear the music from the ice cream yeah, truck. Like, off in the distance. And it starts, like, basically, like, he knows Reggie's, like, nearby and is, like, probably coming down, like, the street. And, like, it wraps itself up and reality starts collapsing yeah. in on itself there. And it maybe it's just a day in a life of him walking around town sure, trying to... it could be. Yeah. I always... It's funny. I, did, I never realized that he had filmed so much for the first movie because I was really impressed seeing the fourth movie that right. they had that footage of them from yeah. 79, like, having that conversation and it works so perfectly. Sure, sure. Um, but again, like, I guess when it's your life's work at that point, really, for yeah. Coscarelli, then yeah. it makes sense that you would, like, be able to wrap it up. And so, again, just to go back to Phantasm as, like, an overall series, um, it's really amazing that e- even if it is a ridiculous series of films and it's not, like, perfect by any stretch of the imagination, so much more so than any other horror franchise, like, it really it really benefits from being the same man and the same vision throughout the entire series, you know, and where there's, I mean, John Carpenter, you know, is always going to be associated with Halloween, but so many other people have had their hands in it, you know, same with 
um, Wes Craven and Robert England, you know, you associate with Nightmare on Elm Street, but so many other people have, like, taken turns at that movie. Like, no one else has ever taken a turn at doing a Phantasm movie, and I think it's important that Coscarelli was the only one that ever did it. Right. And it really makes it, like, wholly unique among horror films in that sense. Even if it is a lot of flaws. No. Yeah. But I love it, looking at it from our perspective. Like, I've always... Yeah really enjoyed the, the movies thinking of it the way that we think of it and then I don't think I would enjoy the movies if I didn't have no no the, <laughs> the movies would be absurd yeah and not intentionally or unintentionally funny enough to even be enjoyable even in their absurdity to me yeah. like I mean I, I think like the only reason and maybe this is all mental gymnastics we've done to um to give meaning to something that we spent our um, lives kind of thinking about, a lot but, of hours. right? Um, thinking and talking about, so maybe we're we're kind of trying to shoehorn it in. I don't think we are necessarily. Maybe, we're like, hmm. maybe yeah. Um, <clears throat> Boy. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there's some really iconic stuff in here. Like, I mean, that people like would you know, uh, even non horror fans would probably recognize like yeah. the spears the, the and, spears and the know, tall man and the tall man i think i think the boy thing a lot of people like get that reference even if enough they, people I yeah think, yeah right um so yeah i mean like angus Grimm is i think really good as the tall man like i think adult michael like especially in the fourth movie is pretty good um the reggie's third, fantastic in his absurdity sure like, as an action, yeah. like a, a suave leading man action hero Right, it's, it's, yeah. it's hilarious like, yeah. watching it sometimes yeah. as, yeah. as absurd as it is. Right. It's like, it's, 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 it borders on, um, like, not quite, but it's like Bruce Campbell type, you know, type stuff. Yeah, except like, that Bruce Campbell actually looks like a leading man. Sure. Reggie, right, yeah. I don't know. Reggie looks like... He doesn't act like one, but he looks like one at least. Reggie doesn't even look yeah. like one, you know. Um, but yeah. So, you know, um, I don't know how many people even know this series well enough to be able to, um you know, uh, take in, like, us laying this out. But um, it was, when we thought about doing a retrospective on a, a franchise, it was one of the first things that kind of popped into our heads because we have talked so much about this yeah. series um, over the course of... Um, I mean, it's good to time. finally just, like, go through everything verbally and just get right. it out. yeah. Um, I think now maybe I can move on from Phantasm. Right, and, like, maybe I never head. have to think about Phantasm <laughs> ever again, possibly. Now After watching this. Ravager today, I would I would think that I'm okay with that. Like, never having to think about Phantasm. Again. Yeah, absolutely. So, um... But if you've never seen it, I, I think it's... They're all pretty short movies. Um, I think they're definitely worth seeing once. Um, if you're a fan of horror movies, you know, if you just kind of want to, like, laugh and sort of whatever maybe like if you've listened to the whole theory and you want to see it for yourself and sort of piece it together um i don't know like uh, they're they're fun movies they're a part of my childhood and teenage years and made all the better by thinking about it from like a more philosophical standpoint as opposed to just like straight i don't know suspension of disbelief horror. sure no uh yeah i mean um no a lot of good hours of my life you know um for how absurd some of these movies are, has been spent watching these movies. So um, yeah, I, you know, if you're if you're a horror fan, you know, and you haven't seen them, um, yeah, I would take a, a chance on them and like yeah. go ahead and watch them. Um, Less than eight hours of your life. Sure. Yeah. I mean, they're all like you know my 
perfect running length of like 85 to 90 minutes, most of them. So, um, so they're all on Shutter. If you subscribe through Amazon Prime or through Shutter's own app, um, personally, one of my favorite subscription services that I use because their their horror catalog is amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, even if you're only going to watch it, like you don't want to watch all of them, watch the first one. I think the first one is. One of the better horror movies of like the late seventies. Someday I hope to get paid for that advertisement there. <laughs> um, oh, so, the shutter. Yeah. Um, not not to go off topic. Did you hear about Filmstruck um, being done? No, Criterion sent me an email, but I didn't open it. Yeah, Filmstruck is over um, at the end of November. Oh, that's um, funny. Hopefully, the Criterion. But, so Criterion is um, looking for a home, basically. Um, God, it'd be so nice if it was on Prime or Netflix or yeah. something. So. Um, not Netflix. Prime. Would Prime be. would be probably the best yeah. place to do it. Like they, they're much better with the ad. Well, Netflix doesn't even have any add-ons right now, like that option. They do. don't. So, um, yeah, Prime would be good. You know, Prime. Place for it. Not, not to get completely off topic. Prime actually has a subscription service called Filmbox that I get because it's mm-hmm. like four ninety nine a month. Yeah. It has stuff that used to be Criterion that Criterion doesn't have the rights for anymore. Mm. So like um, Kage Musha is on Filmbox. Oh right, that's that's where I watch Kage Musha. Yeah, some, I think. some yeah, other stuff yeah, like some know. other like yeah. Goddard and Fellini, like yeah. minor films and some minor Bergman. So maybe that's where it moves to, which would maybe. be nice. Yeah. Because then I'll just keep that format sure. in my subscription. Yeah. Who am I kidding? Like I, I probably subscribe to like like twelve. You pro- yeah. Like you pro- there there are stuff you subscribe to you don't even know. I don't even want to think about it. Um. Well, okay, so um, that's the episode for this week. Um, if you've listened to this, um, thank you for um, letting us divest ourselves of this <laughs> franchise. Um, and um, next week we'll be taking a break. Um, we'll be back in two weeks with um, uh, another new concept that we'll be running called The First Watch mm-hmm. uh, with our friend Mike Bledsoe, who will... Um, be watching Goonies in its entirety for the first time in his entire life, despite the fact that he's 38 years old. Um, and it's a classic of the 1980s that every child, I think, in the world yeah. has probably seen. So um, he's, go- he's going to watch us with a, uh, watch that movie with us for the first time, and we'll be um, getting talking his, talking about it and getting his thoughts on yeah, like, that first I'm, view. I'm excited for that. Um, and then um, the week after that, um, in the middle of November, we will be doing the top five sword and sorcery movies of the 1980s. Um, so that's what we have uh, planned right now uh, for the next few weeks. And I hope everybody has a good night. Yep. Thanks and have a good night. Thank you.